Omri, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. I do really appreciate it. Um, so I'm the lead quantum recruiter at Barrington James, and I came across yourself uh, a couple of weeks ago now whilst looking for an opportunity. And during the course of our conversation, it became quite apparent to me that uh, you know we needed to sit down and have a, a much more longer format chat because your story is certainly one that isn't isn't typical in the quantum computing industry and I think is one that a lot of us can learn from. So thank you very, very much for joining us this afternoon and for giving us your time. And uh, yeah, I guess I'd like to just pass over to you and, and let you introduce yourself and explain a, a bit about your background. Yeah, thanks for that. So as you know, my name is Henri and I come from a tribe. I grew up in a tribe here in the US. It's the largest Native American tribe and it's called the Navajo tribe. So I'm a Navajo, 100%. <laughs> and I grew up, uh, I went through the entire tribal school system. The tribal school system is completely separate from the US, the traditional US school system. So we kind of have our own way of teaching things. And yeah, so in, in that regard, we kind of have some, some amount of flexibility. And if you want someone, who specialize in a certain area, you could just simply invite them over and there's somewhat less bureaucracy you have to deal with. And then the person can, you know, talk to us. Person might be a local Native American who's got some special skill, something, and then they'll talk to us in, in the coursework. Yeah, so I, I went through that system and then I, I was recruited to a laboratory outside of that and outside the tribe to a university. And they, they realized, or they recognized some of my, some of the machines that I built on my own, things like that. Um, I would work on my own, like uh, vacuum tube amplifiers, or I would work on power electronic tools, you know, like <laughs> power, power drills, things like that, <laughs> or inverters, or vehicle electronics. That's a, that's a fun one, because... We we don't we didn't we don't really have internet access. I grew up without the internet, you see. Okay. And but we did have books and things like that that we kind of have. It's limited. And then I use those books to uh, I go through them because there's you know not much else to read besides that. But in those books, there's documentation for how to repair or maintain, you know, vehicle electronics, things like that. And that was. Uh, actually really helpful and it's a way of sort of teaching myself but I went mm. on and I made these things work and I try to put as much quality as I can sometimes using something that's already pre-made there's some part very simple I guess the word is rudimentary parts things with very basic function that you don't have to build from scratch entirely it's just needs to be done anyways so I get that put the whole thing together it works and then, so I take, I try to take pictures of these things or draw them out or something. And so oftentimes people come by or they want to see what I built. And I say, oh, here it is. Check it out. And then, you know, that, that, I guess the word travels far <laughs> as much as, as deep as I live in the wilderness, in the, in the tribe, deep in the forest or deep in the, the, uh, what is the word? It's, it's kind of like between the desert and the mountains. That's where it is. Okay. It's in a place that's very, very secluded. <clears throat> Anyways, but word travels far from there. 
and let's say the nearest town is like almost an hour away mm-hmm. and things like that. But still, there are people that know each other. And so as the word travels, it took, it got to these universities and then they came out to me and they said, hey, yeah, you should come work with us. <laughs> but we'll give you a scholarship. I was like, okay. If it's not too far, I'll be fine with that, I said. Because <laughs> they, they try to offer me to go to bigger universities that are really far away on the coastal areas, even mm-hmm. like top universities like Stanford, for example, uh, which is like top tier in the U.S. But that's too far from where I live. And I, I, I'm not, I said, I'm not ready for that. It's too far. I'm mm. just going to put something close by. Because all I know is tribal life, you know? I don't yeah. know what like outside the tribe is different so i'm it says i'm gonna have to spend some time learning how that works Mm. so they eventually did and then i met some professors there made some friends with them they didn't teach me things necessarily but they had facilities that they have access to and they said we'll give you access to the facility and we'll train you and we'll put you in these programs if you want i said okay i'll think about it so i did and I was a freshman at the time. So, <laughs> but I had all these skills already. And they, mm-hmm. they said, but you could actually use this in research. It'd be pretty good. So I said, you know, yeah, I think that's a good idea. So I did. I, took, <laughs> I went ahead and went forth with the training. And then I had mentors who were uh, postdocs um, and, and so forth. I didn't really have that many graduate mentors, but mostly postdocs. Yeah. So, so what, what's that first experience like where somebody comes to you from outside of your you know, upbringing, your background and outside of the tribe and says, we want you to go to university? I mean, how does that work? What does that look like? So basically, someone gets in contact with the superintendent of the, of the school system, and then the super good superintendent meets the school principal or something. And then they they come directly to my classroom that I'm in, in elementary school or middle school or high school. It happens. And they, they just walk in and they say, hey, you know, we want to talk with you. So they pick me out of the classroom and they, you know, the, the teacher lets me leave. And they say, okay, that's fine. And then I leave and I talk with him at the office or, or somewhere like that. So that's that's how that situation works out. <laughs> wow. <laughs> a little surreal because... Is uh, I've only seen things like this happen, like in the movies or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So that's that's what it was like for me at least. But since since then, um, I guess because of those those little things that happen every now and then, the the teachers became familiar with that process. The teachers that that I had in elementary and all the way to high school. They, when they feel that I am needed somewhere outside of the classroom, they just say, okay, it's, it's on rate. Uh, you can go ahead and go do what you need. Okay. So I would leave the classroom and I would, you know, give a talk somewhere outside the classroom during class time for a short period. Like mm-hmm. I'll, I'll have all my work done and I say I have to go do something else. Um, so <laughs> yeah, that's, that's how it works. Yeah. And is that, I mean, obviously, it's, I, I don't imagine it's common, right, for people to come in and offer full scholarships. But is it is it common for people to come in outside of the tribe and have 
conversations with people like yourself about what you're doing or is that is that new to everybody in that system or is that kind of you know new to you but familiar for other people around you it could be familiar with other people from other schools because i only went to technically two like two schools that were in the same area you see okay and the population is very small where i live like in in my region it's like 50 to maybe 100 people like in my area but over a large area maybe like Mm, 20 to 50 kilometers or so radius so that that area is not the, not a lot of people like i live deep in the middle of nowhere like i said but mm-hmm. there there's a school system down in the valley which is about uh 15 kilometers or so from where i live and so that school in that school uh, we from kindergarten to eighth grade it's it's middle school and elementary combined, but in that school is about maybe 200 students or so, at least when I was going to school there. And you see, the high school is actually just up the road from that. And that high school had a maximum of like 70 students or so. That was wow. Red, Valley, Red Valley Cove High School. And my graduating class was 10 people. So, okay. I, <laughs> and this was in the mountain area. So, we, it doesn't matter if what rank you are in the class. If you say I graduated, you know, top 10, you can mm-hmm. be the last <laughs> <laughs> rank and be top 10. So, yeah, but that's, that's, I would say that gives the opportunity for people to experience something uh, not as much as elsewhere. I guess elsewhere, it's probably more common because there's more people there. <laughs> <laughs> the population's denser in others, yeah. likely, and for that reason, mm, the 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 opportunities that they have, as far as like people coming in and talking to them about uh, scholarship scholarship resources, things like that, it, it might change because I haven't I haven't been to that school in ages. You see, but okay. I, I I I am con I'm it's still in contact with the teachers there in Red Valley, Arizona, which is kind of in that area where I grew up. And that's where the school's located, both schools, high school and elementary. Mm-hmm. So the, let's see, the, I guess the connections have grown since I've left the place, but I, I would think that the opportunities in this case, these days, they try to locate it or they, they try to keep it within the tribe. Mm. But then. If if it grows to something, and then they can take the next step and go beyond the tribe. After that, yeah. Okay. So they have like tribal their own. We have our own tribal scholarship system, so to speak. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So you you reached out to you by these professors. People are aware of what you're doing um, in kind of traditional electronics, for better want of a phrase. Um, yeah. And then you end up in this position where you're thinking about going to university. For most people, and I'm speaking from the perspective of somebody coming out of the British education system, so I don't know necessarily if this translates to America, but from my experience, that that for most people is a very stressful time. 
you're not sure if that's what you want to do. You're not sure if you're going to get the grades that are necessary to go to the university you want to get onto the course that you're you're thinking of. You're worried that you're leaving your friends that you've been to, to sixth form with and you've built these relationships with. Um, and so for you, I imagine you have a completely different set of considerations and you know, still yeah. some of those similar fears, definitely, I'm sure. But the things that you're thinking about are so much um, maybe more impactful to your life than the things that I would have been considering at that point in my life, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Mm. So what, what's that like? I mean, what's your decision making process in that period? What, what, what kind of things are going through your head? So, I mean, situation that for, for us is like, What's the living situation like that always comes up? Mm. And what happens if I leave my home is the other thing because, you know, we have tribal home and such. So, like, who, who's going to take care of that? I, I legitimately mm. ask these questions to the folks mm. that, you know, trying to bring me out of the tribe. And I, I had to say no in the beginning. They, these opportunities, they continue to come. And I know they will come. And I tried to teach my friends that, opportunities are not necessarily oh, like once in a lifetime it's that's that's not a good mindset to think to have mm. they will they will come they will keep coming so you just keep doing what you're doing but this is something this is a mindset that i had as a child <laughs> so i just said well maybe mm, you know i i i need age right now i'm i'm too young for this I like as a child, what am I supposed to do outside of the tribe? Like who's going to watch over me? That's the other thing. And people, people use a different kind of English because we use <laughs> on the countryside. We use very simple English and <laughs> the English that people use in the city area where the universities are located. I don't understand. I don't understand half of what they're saying. <laughs> that kind of uh, the slang terms, things like that. So that is still actually the same case when I came to Minneapolis. I I don't understand half of what people are saying out here. I actually have to look things up and then keep trying to learn new words that people are using out here on this side of the country. <laughs> so same case when I was a child. I tried to. I had a. I actually had a little book with me. It's a. It was a small composition notebook that I carried in my pocket. And my elementary teachers probably would remember that because that's something I had me all the time. This is like pre, this is like way before YouTube was around. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it was a little, a little notebook, kind of like this, this thing I have in my pocket. It's like okay. a little notebook. I, I can turn the pages, write down my thoughts, things that I considered would be critical in the long term that someone might ask me of because. You know, people come, my friends come to me when they want to find something else or if they want to solve some kind of mechanical issue. How do you, how do we achieve this goal? And it might not necessarily be like, oh, help me solve my math problems kind of thing. It's not, it's not theoretical like that. It's more like I need, I need to fix this thing on my broken device or I need to fix this. I don't know. Yeah. Some, some, there's something wrong with my uh measuring tools or something and then they'll say well let's let's look at it and i'll have some notes on it so things like that and those resources I'm, i i kind of made my own little resources over time mm. and 
that helped me a lot. So as I'm going through from one side of the tribe and then slowly starting to leave the tribe, I try to keep note, notes of these things. What are the possibilities? What's the population like? Um, what is, let's see, what is some common good things and bad things about the university environment, things like that. Mm -hmm. So I'll try to learn these things on my own and then try to make a decision. And for that reason, I cannot make a, a fast decision. Mm -hmm. Like if you told me to make a decision uh, overnight or immediately, it's that's not possible. <laughs> okay. I need time. And so as a child, it took me a long time to make those decisions. Yeah. But yeah, well, it's just note taking. Yeah, I think that's really, I think that's something that um, it's a skill that we've all, we've all had at one point or another, but I think a lot of people lose along the way. Um, you become so engrossed in, you know, having your, your mobile phone immediately available to answer any question that right. you kind of forget to think for yourself a little bit. And I'm definitely guilty of that. And I think, uh, you know, having the, 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 the sense of mind at a very young age to be able to be aware of your own thoughts, to be aware of the fact that you need a bit more life experience and to, you know, annotate that, I think is, is very, very impressive. Um, what's it like when you kind of first get to university? What's your sort of first day? What, 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 what's your impressions? What are you thinking? Okay, so I do get to the university, I show up and then I... I kind of actually just sit there in silence because I've done that for a long time in the mountains. You just kind of sit there and you just absorb the environment, so to speak. Mm. You just sit there blissfully in some sense. <laughs> mm. Mm. Um, kind of like you're meditating because I, my grandmother and I, we used to meditate in the mountains, deep in the forest, way up there. And this is like 3,000 meters so like just just under three thousand meters above sea level, there's a, there's a mountain. There's another mountain peak that's like a little over three thousand meters. But there's another one, a little area below that, still pretty high. We go there, we meditate. But I take those same practices, bring it to the university, and I just kind of you know meditate there for a bit, and then I, I try to observe what the place is like. You see. Mm -hmm. And the university that I, the first one I went to was in Utah, actually. And this was in southern, the southern part of Utah, Utah State University. It was a branch campus and it happened to be located also in some, I mean, it's, it's far out enough that it's somewhat close to my home, like at least an hour from my home. That's okay. the closest university I could get that's out there with, <laughs> with resources that I could use like in, in the physics you know, domain. But there were there were like landscapes in that area, different kind of canyons, rock formations, things that I'm somewhat familiar with. It's just that it's not red. Like where I live, it's red, red rocks and stone and such. And then so basically me getting there, the first experience is just absorbing the environment and also uh, observing the social situation. The thing is, it's so quiet where I live that uh, I, I'm used to that quietness, right? Mm. And there's this thing I cannot really get rid of. It is when I hear people talking out in the open, I hear everyone's conversations and it's just something I cannot stop. I just hear mm. everyone. 
what everyone's talking about. So that was what happened to me. So I'm just generally observing the environment, but then I go to a place like the cafeteria area where, where people are eating and such. And I, I, I sit there, I try to do, you know, play around with my computer that I had. And then I would hear people's conversations <laughs> and what people are talking about. I was like, oh, I see. And, you know, I, I start socializing from there. But that's yeah. just how it is. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I get, so it's, it's another thing that, you know, you, again, growing, my experience growing up was so different, right? Because you're going through public school and you're talking to people all day and you're going past, you know, having many hundreds of people on a daily basis that you, you're never going to interact with, but who you pass for a fleeting moment. And that becomes so natural for me. And, it, you know, it becomes so normal. Um, and you, you do have the ability or you, you at some point you gain the ability to be able to turn off the background noise and, you know, almost be present within an environment where there is a lot going on. But for you, obviously, that's that's a brand new experience, I guess, and something which is is quite challenging to get over. One thing yeah. we, we haven't touched on, which I'm really curious about, of all the things that you could have gone to university to study, quantum yeah. computing is, is what you're studying now and where you've ended up. How yeah. did you first come about quantum computing? You know, what, what's that conversation like where somebody brings that up to you? So, okay. So at home, I, I had somewhat of a, an encyclopedia, right? So mm -hmm. the encyclopedia is what I had access to. We okay. had one at school too. It was called the World Book Encyclopedia. And I was like, how do I, I, I generally asked my, asked people around, like, how do I, how does a person like me get a hold of this kind of uh, resource, of an encyclopedia at my own home? Because I have shelves, you know, and <laughs> those shelves, they, they have some, it's just filled with nonfiction stuff. Mm -hmm. For some reason, I'm not really a fiction guy, but anyways, I was like, how do I do that? But then... By by chance, actually, I I was shopping with my grandmother one day at a secondhand store. At a, this store is located in a place called Durango, Colorado. It's like three hours from where I live. You just drive, keep driving into the into this place in a different state. And while I was shopping there, there was an encyclopedia disc on a on a CD ROM. It was called Encarta Encyclopedia ninety six. I was like, oh. It's, is it like 96, like the date, like the year I was born? Or is it like, what, what is that? Anyways, I was like, how, how was there an encyclopedia on this, on this disc? Like an entire set of the encyclopedia? I wasn't sure if that was possible because this is all new to me. I did happen to have a desktop computer that we just bought from someone office at, at some marketplace. Like we have some marketplaces on the tribe here and there. Okay. Yeah, but the the things you find there is mostly food. <laughs> Occasionally, <laughs> you find uh, definitely you always find people selling like tires and such. But one of those <laughs> things someone happens to sell once in a while is just like some computers, and we bought one. It was like a a micron. It said micron PC something, but it was like a Windows XP system on that computer. <laughs> so just just enough. And I think it was actually upgraded from a Windows 98 because there was a 98 sticker on it. But anyways, I loaded the thing on there and that encyclopedia, actually, I learned a lot from it. And that encyclopedia is something that I use to explore things 
And I, I was like, this is great. This, there's actually, <laughs> there actually is an Asukopia here. <laughs> and that was my internet, actually. Mm. So mm. Um, there were like videos on there, actually videos, GIFs, little animations. I was like, this is, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> and I would explore different topics. And there were actually topics relevant to quantum computing on there. But it didn't necessarily explicitly mention quantum computing in, in the encyclopedia, but there were things related to it, like atomic clocks, for example, mm -hmm. and different quantum sensors and like nuclear physics, like related topics. Nuclear, like where I live, actually has a lot of nuclear history. So there's definitely a part in that because where I live, we have a history with uranium and uranium mining and extraction. My grandfather, <laughs> my 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 mother's father, my grandfather, he was a uranium miner. Wow. He was a Navajo veteran, but also a uranium miner during the Cold War era. And so there's like a whole thing that I, my people have a history with, mm. with in uranium mining and extraction, things like that. Very, very controversial. But, mm, or should I say, it's not just controversial, but it's also, you know, it's kind of dark because, you know, people, sounds of people died from that. But yeah, they try to teach us early on in elementary school that these things exist in our environment. And you have to be careful when you're playing outside because it's literally like we step outside in these canyons. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's how it is when you live on a countryside. You open a door, canyons, or you open a door, mountains, and big <laughs> things like that. So it's just very very open world <laughs> mm, mm. It looks like it looks like here from from what i've heard people ex describe it to me they say that it looks like you're living in a national park that's mm. what that's how they describe it to me and so i was like you know what actually that makes sense but i wouldn't have known that if i if i didn't speak to these people <laughs> yeah yeah who are from out who are seeing it from an out, outside perspective anyways so that that um resource you know one thing leads to another they're all kind of interconnected in some sense so it all leads back to research and it, it made sense to me i was like you know what? all all of this is connected through physics it actually makes sense and so that slowly led me from like topics of nuclear physics and then quantum but i, I didn't fully understand quantum at the time so i just like i'm gonna have to put this aside for now Maybe I'll come back to it later. So that's actually did that's that actually is what happened. And it did happen. And so that's where I am currently. I went from <laughs> working on general topics and then I went to I worked on electric vehicles. I built electric vehicles for a research laboratory for some professors. And I taught people how to build those things, you know, using physics principles. Mm -hmm. And then from there slowly. They put me into nanotechnology, but more like nanoelectronics. It's, I mean, there's nanotechnology, as you know, it's a general topic, but under it is nanoelectronics. Under that is spintronics, quantum spintronics. Spintronics is just another term for spin transport electronics. You're using spin transport, which is, you know, a way of controlling <laughs> things inside of metals, things like that. It, it could be semiconductors too, but for for at least for my work we use metals mm -hmm. and then somehow that that's connected to quantum computing because 
there are kind of qubits that exist, the platforms, the spin qubits that use those mechanisms. And so that's inherently connected with <laughs> this work. So <laughs> all these things, like I said, they just go out, go down this sort of almost like a dampening pass. Mm. Dampening happening, and then you slowly zoom in, and then boom, you're you're in this area. And now, so now I'm doing quantum, and all this was just a matter of time, really. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's a really interesting comment and perspective. Um, but you know, I think as much as it's a matter of time, you're 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 also a product in of yourself. In, in right. what I mean by that is that you, anybody could have had a, the same amount of time, but I don't think many people would have pursued um, their own. Um, intuition their own their own interests their own curiosity to the extent right. that which you've done which is which has brought you to this point um i think i think you're quite unique in that i think there's not many people who would have the same drive to to understand what they're reading in that encyclopedia right right mm. well the thing is you kind of have to be aware of your learning modes so i would say at least for me i'm not a visual learner <laughs> okay and for that reason, I mean, see, you see those encyclopedia texts and, and things like that. They had diagrams mm -hmm. and they had like audio to go with the, 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 the explanations of animations, things like that. So that is helpful because I realized actually I'm an auditory learner. I learn by hearing and I'm listening. And that's actually something I learned if you, if you take another step back, something I learned from my grandmother. So I was raised by people, by, by elders in the community. I wasn't raised by my parents. Mm. So these elders, they, they were born in like the 1920s and 1930s. Wow. So, so the things that I learned, the skills that I have, some of those things are passed down from these Navajo elders, like elderly. But they're, they're elderly, but they're not. The elderly that you think of, like the kind you walk across the street, kind of thing. These mm -hmm. are like they they could be seventy years old and you know running up the mountains. You know these these people are well built mm. <laughs> mountain people, and my grandmother was one of those people. So she was a very tough individual in her seventies even. So she moved around like a like a young person, very <laughs> flexible. <laughs> Actually, she was more flexible than I was because she was, you know, she could like touched the floor with with her with the palm of her hand without bending her knees yeah that kind wow of thing. Yeah, yeah 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 and we live in a house with stairs and she was always running up and down <laughs> <laughs> so that imagine having that and then the the wealth of experiences that we had and our conversations that's that's how our relationship was you know because i was raised with my grandmother mm -hmm. our relationship was that we we go and do work, we socialize, we come back home, keep working, and we talk and we have discussions, my grandmother and I, as, as little as I was. So, because it was just for a long time uh, in, in my younger days, I mean, my, gra my grandfather actually, he passed like two years before I was born. So I, I, I didn't get to meet him. So it was just me and my grandmother and I learned, I learned a lot by having these conversations with my grandmother mm. and then she would go and actually have me meet. She'll, she'll take me with her and go meet people in the community here and there. Cause she knew a lot of people, my grandmother. 
<laughs> community, Navajo community. And we went far and wide. And I met all kinds of people. And so there were people that knew me, but I don't know them. <laughs> and <laughs> the time that I met them, I was pretty young. But still, as I kept growing, I have more and more conversations with these people, with with the Navajo community. And I learn back and forth. That I, I listen as much as I can, mm. take that knowledge in. And I, I keep... I just slowly collect all of it. So that's something I'm somewhat doing these days, even outside of the tribe. I have conversations with people. Like as I, mean, I think I mentioned it to you before, four hours at a time, mm. I would have a conversation with someone who is, you know, who wants to talk about something. <laughs> mm. So that's how it is. And then I take that inspiration over to the the study when I want to study something I try to I try to look into who's involved in that kind of research work you know kind of backtrack the history of the technology things like that so it's just one thing like I said is connected to the other so you can yeah. make a work I guess <laughs> again what what strikes me on Henri is, is how aware you are of um your own your own abilities and like you're you know not I don't think again many people have that um I mean like, I can only speak from my own experience and growing up right. through school and, and you know I, I'm very much the same I'm not a visual learner but I didn't realize that until much later in my life than I think you did and I think it would have been helpful for me to have known that quite a bit sooner <laughs> but I didn't have the the um you know, the state of mind to recognize that at such a young age. It's one of those things I've learned through experience and, I, and I've learned by trying different methods, what works best for me. Um, mm -hmm. And I'd very much agree, you know, I, I need to see things written down on paper or better yet, put pen to paper myself. And then I can really start to understand something. Um, but it's interesting to me that you had a grasp of that so early on in your, uh, in your development. So to where you are now then, so you're, you're at university, you're specifically looking at nanoelectronics and within that, spintronics, is that right? Yeah. So talk to me about what it is you're doing. You're, you're doing a PhD currently, you're, you're two years in, right? Yeah, yeah. So talk to me about that, expand on that a little bit. Tell me about what you're doing, what you want to kind of conclude your PhD with. Okay, so I, I've, been actually, I've actually been doing this since my undergraduate, so... When I came as an undergraduate, I was like a sophomore and I was like, you know, Spintronics, they actually gave a list of uh, nanoelectronic topics. It was a research fellowship. It was called Research Experiences for Undergraduates, REU, that is funded by the National Science Foundation and otherwise known as NSF. And in that program, they basically trained us for 10 months in the laboratory. They have a set of funding put aside for us and the funding is allocated for living expenses is allocated towards research supplies and some other mis miscellaneous things and the research supplies is is a huge part of it because you know it, it costs money to use the laboratory equipment some of these special machines that cost like hundreds of dollars an hour for example mm. so we use that, you know, that's that's pretty good because if you have a set funding that's that's not necessarily from a professor, but it's from 
from a different organization that's that's taking care of that then the professor is like okay well us uh, will give you some permission they sign some paper they have you work in the laboratory and then you explore so i was like i want to build stuff because like i i'm obsessed in some sense with building things in my tribe i did carpentry in the my first days i built electric vehicles and i'm still building things i like to mm. continue building things even though a lot not, some people consider it a pain they, they don't really want to some people don't really want to do it they're kind of like i, I don't want to build stuff let someone else do it yeah <laughs> yeah I'm the, I'm the dude, like, I want to build it. I'm happy to do it. doesn't matter. It comes out right. I'll learn something, and then I'll rebuild it again. We can, we can do that <laughs> in a short, short period of time. So that's what I did. I focused on the nanofabrication aspect of this quantum technology, the spintronics. And then I used the machines, the, the research funding and all that. And then that led even more to working like some, on some other spintronics topic another year later so i did that fellowship for one year and then i mean well 10 weeks for one year and then 10 weeks the next year did it again i wasn't a student but then on the second year that passed i was like you know what i'll, I'll join the university and so i did i joined the university as a student officially and then i used that to kind of stick around a, a bit more formally in some sense and then explore spintronics even with as an undergraduate, stick around with the graduates and learn what they're learning. <laughs> so that kind of spilled on over to my PhD research because now I'm doing PhD work. The PhD is still in Spintronics, but in an area that I feel comfortable contributing in. And I was like, you know what? This is great. I have some experience in working or studying on the topic of quantum quantum computing because during the pandemic i was it was actually a really hard decision i was like do i there's so much going on in the world right now it's uncertain mm. right so i'd like to do something on my free time like i i still have my side projects my hobbies and such but academic wise what do i do <laughs> I, right. I actually took one semester off because of the pandemic but in that time I, I actually did join a program that was called Qubit by Qubit. And that was to get, they were uh, collaborating with um, IBM, MIT, and I think University of Oxford, some, some instructors. So those were our instructors in that program. And they taught us for one year for, for that semester and then in the following semester. And I, I, I learned as much as I could. I have this, I have this book, this sort of set of notes in a book that I call my IBM notes. <laughs> IBM <laughs> Everything is that, that I learned as, as I could is written on there. And then, so I was like, you know, I, I think, I mean, I, I build quantum devices and this is something I want to work towards. And I think if we could merge Spintronics with it and use our Spintronics technology our magnetics expertise in our research group and then use that for my PhD research. So I, I, I put that forth to my professor and he's like, yeah, that's, that's a good idea, Professor Jinping Wong. So we are currently working on that topic and everything's sort of lined up right now. I 
have all my little drawings, presentations. We often give long presentations in their PhD research, but that's just, uh, just how the program how the program goes. Mm -hmm. You give these like you you want to explore something or you want to learn something deeply. You explore sort of on your own, or at least you you try to seek as much as you can. It might you might end up talking to someone to learn more deeply on a topic, a subtopic. And then you bring that together and you put it in this long presentation that's anywhere from like 30 slides up to maybe 60 slides or something. <laughs> so you do that, you bring it together in, in a presentation format, could be on Zoom. We actually used to do presentations in person, but mm -hmm. this time it's, it's, it's all on Zoom anyways. But I try to incorporate as many pictures as I can talk about these topics. And then actually, everyone that's attending the presentation, they are postdocs, they are PhD students, they are some undergraduates uh, in there. And so everyone kind of puts their brains together and they ask me questions, which makes me explore more. Mm. And sometimes I'll have the answer ready. It's already there. But then there are questions that I'm just like, sometimes be like, well, let's explore the answer on that one. <laughs> because mm. I don't know the, the answer off the top of my head. We'll have to uh, have a side discussion about it. And then we, you know, we find the answer. But mm -hmm. that's, that's how it goes in the program. And then, of course, coursework is just a standard thing. Um, but yeah. So when you refer to, you, you referred to we as part of the program, who, who are you referring to when you refer to we? Oh, we. We as in PhD students. <laughs> okay. okay. PhD researchers. It's, it's actually kind of hard to say just PhD student because I think in some PhD programs, they're not doing, um, there's, there are some that are not research oriented or something or some other doctoral program it's not necessarily research oriented or it could be research oriented but you're not doing like working on you're, you're not building things sure, or sure. You, you could be just working on a computer or something uh, <laughs> that kind of thing. so it's when i say we i'm just like experimental folks who are exploring these topics and presenting yeah, yeah. i suppose in other phd programs that are non-engineering or non-physics, they, they might do it a little differently. So yeah, when I say we, at least the EEPXTs. <laughs> okay. Um, let's see, I think there's something else I wanted to say on that. Mm. The, the other thing is we have, like subtopics or subpapers or, or papers under technical papers under those subtopics. I guess if you were to ask what specifically is my research work, then it would be in the area of what is called magnetic random access memory using a, a special kind of MTJ that has quantum materials in it. I want to say the materials, but it's too, it's way too technical. The, these are just memory architectures that we build out of nanomagnets that are made of metals or of metals, metal oxides, metallides, metal, metalloids, metalloids. <laughs> yeah, that kind of thing. And then 
we build it so that it's cryogenically compatible. So in other words, it's a cryogenic magnetic random access memory. That's what the work is on. And the interface with qubits, spin qubits that are based off of magnetics as well. So magnetic spintronic qubits. Yep. If you're asking specifically, a little more specifically, what is it on? That's it. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> and how far into your PhD program are you? So right now, this is, I'm about to finish the, no, I'm, this is the second year, and this is the end of the first semester of the second year, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah I'm with you. So 2.5. 2.5. <laughs> it's a good way yeah. of putting it. Well, how long left have you got? Have you got another 2.5 years to go, you think? Yeah, so it's going to take, this PhD program lasts anywhere from four to five years. Okay. Yeah. So that's the length of the program. Yep. But, but you know, it's it's a little shortened for me compared to someone who's completely new to spintronics or new to the fabrication techniques or the all that stuff. Because usually you have to you would have to spend an extra year learning how to build these nano chips. Mm -hmm. They're really dense. They're not just single devices with you know wires on it, which is what you can do in physics because all you care about is the physics. But in our case, it's engineering, so we have to expand that and make it into a like a like a dense array of devices, <laughs> mm. which in itself presents its own problems that you have to solve on your own. You have to learn. I mean, you know, it's all about learning. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, uh, looking forward then. Let's let's assume we've fast forwarded another two and a half years and you're finishing your PhD. What do you want to do at that point? So there's two things. So I have a I have a side project going on. Okay. It's kind of going on. And this side project involves it's more on the quantum education side. And okay. as a Native American, as an indigenous American with indigenous resources and all this stuff in my head. Mm -hmm. And my digital brain, as I call it, which is my brain, all my thoughts that I've been recorded and, and written down and, and things like that over the years onto a digital form or a, a cloud notebook of sorts called Google Keep. So this thing, I have all these linguistics resources that I put on there, some that I've made on my own. I form the resources. I create the repositories in like GitHub or something. Mm -hmm. And... So this is a side project of mine that, that has actually reached out, has gone far back to my homeland. So people hear about it there from the university, Arizona State University, the Northern Arizona Universities. And so the, the, the organization leaders for the quantum uh, research and also the quantum education, they said, that's, we would like to get involved. And I said, that's, that's great. Yeah. Because even though it's a side project, this is actually a lifelong side project for me because mm -hmm. I want to take this knowledge, this quantum technology knowledge that that is pretty up to date. <laughs> and I want to transcribe it or translate it into the Navajo language, my native language, my wow. for my tribe. And so I've done some of that already. And I, I I understand some linguistic aspects of the Navajo language. And this is, I think, worth doing because 
we did not have a written language in the past. All of our language was done by memory and it was spoken. And as a result, the way we spell things now that we have a written form, it's kind of like a Latinized form, but we, we modify the Latin characters, kind of like English letters, but it's modified okay. to, to match the sounds that we want it to make. Yeah. Our, lots of consonant clusters, glottal stops, you know, things like that, all these different tones. So that is, is very phonetic. So pretty much you think about something and you say it. And if, if what you say matches the, the written form, the newly written form, then it's, it's pretty straightforward from there. But then that's only on the aspect of pronunciation and, and mm. writing. As far as the meaning goes, you can break down the meaning because there are words that we can create and invent for new things that exist in society, in modern society. Like, for example, we didn't have computers. This is something actually I learned from my grandmother. She's like, we didn't have computers in the past, right? And she's, I was like, okay. And then she says, so what we say in Navajo is that the, the computer is a, is a piece of copper that thinks. It's a thinking, <laughs> it's a thinking. Okay. Yeah. A, a copper thinking, copper piece of copper that's thinking, something like that. So in Navajo language, that's how we describe it. We say, so bish is metal, is red. So bish, red metal is copper. You can actually break these things down kind of like a tree or a fractal. And <laughs> then that means to think. And when you add the I at the end, you're just, you're kind of attributing that value to whatever it is you're attributing to. It could be a person or a thing. Yeah. So you, you can actually use that to personify objects. Objects that are not usually animated, you can pretend as if it's animated, as if it's alive. <laughs> yeah. Which translates over to quantum really well because the way we treat qubits, they're like, they're physical objects, but they, they can resonate and they can respond to a signal. They can respond mm -hmm. to a frequency and they, they're kind of like, they echo it back in some sense. And that's almost as if it's alive, even though it's not, you know? So mm -hmm. these things are just kind of like concepts that overlap. Anyways, so what I'm trying to do is take that knowledge as much as I can, put it into these linguistics repositories and expand it from there. And I think already there are some Navajos out there who are already, you know, they're really good at like computer science, I guess. Mm -hmm. And they, they, they're, they're trying to work on um, creating, creating a sort of program that can listen, I guess it's some, something like machine learning that can take audio signals and then or, or, or even, I guess, like computer vision programs that can read words and then try to trans, translate it into Navajo, automated, automated in an automated fashion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that makes that makes sense. I mean, that, look, there's a lot of challenges to that, I think, but it makes sense. I get one of the questions for me: How um, you, you mentioned that the, the Navajo language until recently was just formulated from memory. So, how much of the 
quote unquote traditional Navajo language is now put down in a, in a linguistic form? You know, have you got a strong base to work from or are you still adding? You it's know, hard. Food? It's hard to say. <laughs> I, I've only I've only spoken to so many thousands of Navajo people and there's many there's many Navajo people out there some far south or far west actually we have navajo dialects that's the other thing okay. so that the dialect of navajo that i understand and i speak is from the eastern like northeastern part of the tribe and like the way i spell the h for example like the navajo is spelled with the h i try to keep it as phonetic as possible mm-hmm. navajo or nabeho as we pronounce it navajo if you want to stay neutral, you want to stay as neutral as possible, you would just say Dine, which is like, well, represents the Navajo people or the Navajo language, Dine Bizarre. So the, there, there is another Navajo spelling that has a J on it, but the J spelling is not a J in, in the English spelling of the word. However, <laughs> we don't, you, we don't pronounce the J as a, in Navajo, that's, that's incorrect. So that inspiration of the J came from somewhere else, likely from down south, <laughs> mm-hmm. where the, which is actually where our Navajo government's located. It's on the southern part of the tribe, the the central government, I should say. Yeah, but regardless, there are different ways people spell and pronounce things throughout the tribe, and actually, you can backtrack the way it's spelled, like. I've explained this to some some folks, uh, some friend groups of mine that actually there's this thing called oak, the word for oak, mm-hmm. like a rock. It's it's a wood, it's a plant that's that's hard like a rock. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's really dense. So in other words, in Navajo, we just call it <laughs> a rocky plant. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's very logical. So, Yes, exactly. Yeah. So the word for rock is tse. It's like T-S-E and it's a, you know, consonant cluster. Tse, that means rock. And then chil, this is plants. So tse chil. But see, that's that's logical and it makes sense. You can you can actually break it down. Yeah. But if you go to a different part of the tribe, they'll say che chil, che chil or something like that. And they spell it with this is a ch, but the thing is, you can't really backtrack that. If you do backtrack it, it's just gonna bring you back to se. So, I guess, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where that. <laughs> I don't know yeah. where that kind of went somewhere. Maybe someone can explain it to me. But that's that's, <laughs> how, that's how I've been able to, you know, ex- understand some some spellings and how they're what makes them different. Mm. in the tribe yeah and also the other thing is when i go to a different part of the tribe as well sometimes people say something in navajo i understand what it means but it, it just sounds really funny to my ears <laughs> but they make up their own terms there in that region so yeah you actually have to collectively go out there and collect your own data and then bring it back centralize everything identify which is which so that's why that's like one of my long-term plans, and that's that's beyond PhD, right? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. bringing that together with quantum and 
eventually train uh, allow that to to for for young people to not only learn the, the Navajo language a bit more deeper for themselves, mm -hmm. and, but also to to get help them get involved in quantum industry because there's so much. This is the future, right? <laughs> yeah, this is something you can it the efficiency in it as well. The you could there's efficiency in the learning as well because the the effort you have to put into it is pretty much straightforward to to the uh, fundamental principles whereas in if you were studying like chemistry or something for example you you study it really deeply but the deeper you go it just leads into quantum eventually mm -hmm. and then you end up with quantum chemistry <laughs> mm -hmm. and then same with physics you know newtonian physics and then you keep you keep studying it deeper and deeper uh, at least within within a certain scale i guess you would say it just takes you into quantum so the end the end point is your quantum yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> quantized. so in that case you know i think because of that perspective of learning efficiency and also linguistics bring it together it's going to do something i have a vision for that right mm. i think that's and, very yeah, yeah. That, that's a, just a just a pause there i think that's a really interesting point you've just made um and one which i i hadn't I thought about, but not in the not in the way that you've just put it to me. That you know, right. everything kind of has its origins there. And so, yeah. if you can um, transcribe, for better want of a word, the you know the, the the quantum into Navajo, you're allowing people not only to learn the native language and get to grips with that from a young age and and keep that alive to some extent, I'm sure, but you're yeah. also giving them a foundation for learning, whether that's quantum or whether that's chemistry physics biology yes. whatever it is they go on to do there's a foundation there they can they can build from um mm -hmm. and i think yeah that's a, that's a that's a fantastic project who's who's helping you with that is this you, you, so this, you, you this yourself was, and you <laughs> this was my own effort and i just i just started publishing it on github and i was okay. like because it didn't start in github like i said i have a google keep notebook mm -hmm. notebook of all these thoughts all these ideas and my own resources. And then I have resources here on my computer for that, that I've stored and collected. So it was like a, a whole library built into this thing. But I was like, I wanted, uh, you know, maybe people would be interested in reading this. And I think also it, it helps me learn because I, what I want to do is I want to learn the Navajo language as deep as I can, because mm -hmm. I understand it to an extent, even, even some of the old words and things like that but it's it's very fascinating to me as an indigenous person and I, i'd like to get more associated with it is i'm just i'm just interested in it but i think that i can combine it with other things too and that mm. kind of makes it worthwhile and it, it adds yeah adds to its value in some sense i guess yeah anyways so um, with that in mind there were actually people see i've shared this stuff on linkedin and that's a whole nother thing I could talk about is that uh, <laughs> me sharing things online has really changed a lot of things because I'm new to the internet, as I said, mm. and I've been on the internet since 2017 officially. Um, there were, I, you know, I've, I've actually experienced that a little bit, kind of just searching up something on the browser and then I, downloading an image in elementary school for a project 
and that was it nothing that's all i did i was like oh look an image download it <laughs> get it done no nothing more and <laughs> but when i did come to the internet officially in 2017 and got internet access on my mobile device i don't have internet access in arizona at my house because uh, i haven't i haven't been back home since since that time i've been wow. here i went to utah went back briefly and then i came here to minneapolis and i've been here since i haven't been back home <laughs> so um, the the uh what do you call it this resource which is all connected on the internet i was like well perhaps i can learn how to use it strategically so github is one of them but the thing is you can share github repositories Mm-hmm. with with people and so i did that i put it on linkedin there were some folks that who were who were familiar with my work and i guess they thought of other programs that are that could actually benefit from that in arizona and so we got in contact and so i ended up meeting the uh associate vice president of arizona state university and I also met with some other leaders from Northern Arizona University, like I said. And so they said, they, they expressed interest in this project of mine. And they realized the significance of it. And I said, you know, yeah, I, I think that that'll be good. That'll be great. And so we're forming a, a, an official sort of project start off. And I'm supposed to go to Texas this December, next month. So it's the first time I'm officially leaving Minnesota for a while. For like, wow. For like two days and then coming back. <laughs> so never been to Texas, but uh, I get there. I will meet these people and we'll talk about this project, the side project, which is somewhat related to my work. But still, mm. it's inherently, you know, connected to me because it's my it's my language my people <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah yeah and well they said well, let, well let's see what we can do with this because this is something this 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 as you meant they they realized that or should i say they acknowledge that i said it's a lifelong side project mm-hmm. yeah so that if anything if you're asking it is becoming an official project um well, I'm glad. I think I think it's something, you know, I think that's a fantastic initiative. And you you I'm glad that you're getting help with it. I think that it's a project which is probably too big for one person, even over a lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm glad that you're getting support. Um, but I think it's a fantastic initiative. And you know, I wish I wish you all the best in that pursuit. Thanks. Um the thing is, uh I'm obsessed about these things. Like there are certain things I have obsessions about, and I think having an obsession about certain things really cuts the work in half actually mm. so like quantum is one thing i'm obsessed about fractals is another thing i'm obsessed about and linguistics is another thing i'm obsessed about so that actually as as much work as this would take for one person it's it's a little less by having that obsession with it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah yeah it's healthy obsession right it's something that yeah. uh, it's yeah. a healthy yes i should actually i actually should clarify that it's a, <laughs> it's the healthy obsession yeah but no i think i think that's very very i think i think that's very wise to be i think that's the word i would use i think it is a very wise project um yeah. i really see the value in that and i commend you for 
you know, it's one thing to put yourself in the position where you are now, having come from the background that you have to be able to to understand quantum and to, you know, continue to be working in that field. But then to not be just content with you understanding it, but wanting to share that and to educate other people from a similar background, I think is, is very, very impressive. Um, and so, again, you know, there's, unfortunately, there's not much I can do to help you with that particular project. My Navajo is not up to scratch, but, <laughs> but I wish you all the best with it. I think that's a fantastic yeah. initiative. I mean, I think that also helps people from outside, outside of the U.S., or should I say outside of the tribe, because even people in the U.S., they're, they're not the way they're educated about us indigenous people mm. and our languages our tribe like we have hundreds of indigenous languages that are indigenous to america uh, in general but there are people who are uh, unaware about mm. that and i think this would also help in that general direction for people to understand that we have an indigenous people that speak a language that's been here for thousands of years. Mm, that, mm. and we're also capable of of doing these things as well. Yeah, yeah, creating our own resources. Yeah. So, and I think it's it's not just that you have. Uh, it's not just that there are indigenous languages that have been in America, but yeah. there's indigenous languages which are in America that are still being yes. used and still being developed and still you know growing today. Um, yes. I think that's an important distinction as well. We're not talking about something which which has been. We're talking about something which is happening, you know, now oh, yeah. very much in the present. Definitely, yeah. So, so that that that's side project one. That was the yeah. first thing you mentioned. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> let's, let's go back. What what's kind of the, the second thing? The question I asked was uh, at the end of your PhD. What you know? What are you what are you looking to do? And that was the, the lifelong side project you mentioned. What, yeah. what in addition to that are you looking to do as well? <clears throat> so. The other the other project or or mm, thing that I'm that I want to work on is it's on the hardware side. So <laughs> this is yet another side project, but still, there's another project that involves giving access nanotechnology resource hardware access, uh, resources to to the general quantum nanotechnology <laughs> community. This this also could include, you know, tribal education as well, mm-hmm. based on the low cost and the compactness. So it's it's a whole open source project that I have where you're taking knowledge of nanofabrication and then trying to do it with low cost, like on a tabletop, like basically almost like you're making your own small little baking station in a sense, but then all these things are contained within within a small footprint, hardware footprint, and the lithography technology for that is also low cost because it's based off of, well, it's based off of laser technology that you would find in, in something like Blu-ray lasers or something. And these things are, are pretty common and cheap and they're small. So you, you could actually somewhat reverse engineer these things and build it into a small lithography system and then it could grow. So that's open source. And what I want to do is bring that and then make it official. And then people could learn hardware from that on their own. And then, so this is something I, I had discussed with the professors from Arizona as well. And they're, they're pretty happy about it. So, I mean, given the fact that it's open source, I, I don't, 
I don't think there's, I, I would have a problem talking about it in public, even mm. now. <laughs> so, I mean, the, the whole point is that you, you need to have a certain kind of skill set to actually build this kind of thing and make it work in a small footprint. But the thing is, doing it open source as well is, is, is its own thing. So like yeah 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 that's that's another side project project i got going on but beyond this side project there is a main project i guess you would call it which is trying to create a system a quantum computing system that has that same mindset which is or should i say it, it's based on the same principles that is trying to deal or or handle the densities, the high densities of signals in a quantum system using something like fiber optics to reduce the cable noise, for example, and then actually exploiting those on a set of devices that are quantum, mm -hmm. qubits, the, the memory and so forth, all these things, but making it more compatible with each other. And as a result, having to reduce having having the ability to reduce the footprint as well so the system doesn't necessarily have to be bulky but you could make it smaller and smaller and still have the same more or less the same performance and then the materials people can come in and improve the performance of the material interfaces to uh, to their content and also it allows people who are working on specialized qubits to actually test it on a platform that is based off of spin transport mechanisms, things mm -hmm. like that. So that's, that's something I, I got going on in the long term. That's somewhat a part of my PhD project, but I think that's, like I said, it's it would be it would be difficult to achieve in a short time period within just one PhD. Yep. This is something it would take years to do, and I think it's possible because you know I build these things myself. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, but the thing is. It's not. It's not only just that I can build it myself. I, I, I'm able to actually densify the structures on my own using these techniques. Um, well, it's that's based off of spin rather than charge. Mm -hmm. So as a result, there's there's less energy required overall. There's this better efficiency, mm -hmm. not not just in the energy efficiency, but also the the size efficiency. Yeah. So that is something. I would I would also probably it would probably merge somewhat with the work that I'm doing at a place of my choosing. So if I so if I get recruited to different laboratories, so I've I've already been I've had people try to you know pull me in different directions, say work with us at their laboratory um, when I graduated with my bachelor's degree, and they were familiar with my skills, and they said. Uh, you know, you should come build quantum computers with us. And I was really, really, really uh, excited about that. But then I've also had the university come and talk to me and they say, you should consider a PhD because I think you could do it in a you know, relatively short amount of time and then still be able to go and work. And so I said, you know what? I'll have to think about that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> an, interesting, an interesting option here. So. That's the option I took. It it wasn't an easy choice, but I took that option, you see. And 
what I'd like to do as far as industry work is just take these resources, expand on them, and then train people. So this, this training, this working with engineers really requires a lot of leadership. And so I happen to have a lot of leadership experience in, in the research environment and somewhat out of the research environment as well, because I have some other side activities, uh, extracurricular activities. <laughs> um, so it could be like directorship or, or something of that nature is where I'm, that's where I'm going. And I see, I, I see that in the long term, and I, that, that's the vision right now. Mm-hmm. And it's going to require, you know, some getting together, getting people together, which is not always easy because sometimes you have to bring people over from who are halfway across the world to work on those projects with you. Yep. Because I, I actually do meet a lot of people who want, who want to work with me on an idea either that I'm currently working on or something that they want to expand on, which is related to mine, and they merge mm-hmm. the two together. So the thing is, they might be way on the other side of the country, or they might be somewhere on the other side of the planet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've actually done that with a friend of mine. We were friends on the internet, and he lived uh, in Europe. And then we we expressed interest in, in all this research work in spintronics and uh, this friend of mine was like uh, you know I'd like to get involved officially because I have a degree somewhat related a STEM degree a master's degree but I'd like to actually do a PhD in that area so how do I how do I do this so I, I put him in contact with with my professor and then we you know we work things out and so my friends He's, he's like a real friend of mine who actually came came here and joined us. And so now we're in the research, same research team and it's things like that. That took a lot of effort, you see. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's, there's like a long-term vision or long-term idea involved, but then I guess doing it in industry might be, I don't know how, how easy or how much easier or how much more difficult that would be. But that that's something I would like to have the power or the authority to to achieve because ultimately these these ideas and, and being able to do these things requires people and skills. Yep. And there are people who have some skills, but you know, they they're passionate enough that we can train them in the <laughs> with enough quality, you know, resources. That's yeah, yeah that's that's where I'm headed. Well, I, I think I think you'll definitely get there. I think that's inevitable. I think that no matter what happens and, you know, the obstacles that will inevitably end up in your way, I think you will overcome. I think you're, you're just, you mentioned leadership. I think for me, there is, um, <clears throat> there's only so much you can do to become a leader. You can train, you can develop, you can grow your skill set, and nobody yeah. should stop trying to do that. But I just feel that inherently, some people have an innate quality of leadership. And for me, you, you certainly possess that. Um, whether that's because of your experiences or just by nature of who you are, you know, as a person, I'm not sure, but I, I certainly see that quality in you. And I think that you'll do very, very well in those positions. I also think you mentioned, you know, the, the pros and cons of academia and industry. I yeah. think that when you come to conclude your PhD, whether it's in two years or three years, you'll have no shortage of options. Um, there'll be a lot of people, Omri, who will want to have you on board. And I think that they, anybody who, 
who manages to have have you as part of the team in whatever capacity would have gained a very valuable team member for more than just your technical capacity, which is, you know, obviously beyond question at this point. You, you've you've shown that throughout this conversation, but I think they, they'd get a lot more than just somebody with a, a very strong technical skill set if they were to bring you on board. So again, right. I'm, I'm sure you'll have no shortage of options. Um, and look, for me, I think your your story, if you will, is is testament to the fact that anybody can achieve what they want. And, and for me as a recruiter, one of the questions I get a lot is how do I get into quantum computing? You know, mm-hmm. what what do I do? What what courses do I take? And there is no perfect answer for that. There, you know, no. I, I've grappled with this a lot and I, I would love to have a, a response that I could provide to everybody and say, you know, do this, you know, one on one equals two, right? And I'd, I'd like to better tell people, do this and do this, you'll end up here. But it, it isn't like that. Um, and it's, it's dependent on what you want to do, where you want to go, you know, what your interests are, what your skill set already is. But I think the, to use a very British phrase, the proof is in the pudding with you, right? <laughs> You've had the, um, it, what I mean by that is that, you know, you're, you're, um, you're proof of the fact that I'm trying to state. You've got from somewhere where, you know, nobody around you would have been familiar with quantum computing in any way, shape or form, I imagine. And then you've slowly but surely, as you said, traveled on that road and got yourself to a point where that is now what you're studying as a PhD um, and will do so for many years beyond that. And so anybody who's out there wondering, how do I get into quantum? Just continue to pursue your interests, continue to learn, continue to pick up, you know, encyclopedias as you did or continue to go to the Internet. Just continue to immerse yourself and really be passionate about what it is you're doing. And I think the road that you'll follow will inevitably take you to where you want to be. Yeah, definitely. And I think all these things keep bringing me back to linguistics because there's like scientific communication and learning, learning the techniques and things like that. It's just that there's so many terms that get thrown around and some of these terms overlap, others don't. Mm. Some of them are related. Some they don't look like they're related, but they actually are. They mean the same thing. <laughs> like, like for example, uh, something that's something that's not quantized could be, you know, it's basically this. It's not doesn't have quantum properties in it, or something like that. This there there are these terms you could say this non or it's like inverse backwards. It's bidirectional, like all these terms, they just get, they, there's too many terms. And so you have to create sort of a linguistic tree to see which is which, and then define the differences. Because I think that's what can, gets, gets the most confusing in learning mm. these kind of topics. Um, and I see that actually linguistics does help in that regard. And I, I've seen it happen for some of my friends in this area, or should I say my my mentees. So I have mm-hmm. mentees now. <laughs> and I, they, they tell me what their 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 issues are as far as the learning is concerned. And I, I try to identify those based off of my own experiences, but then also merge that together with the problems they're facing in learning that material. Because like for example, someone could learn mathematical techniques, but it could be straightforward. However, when it comes to the physics, you know, words are thrown around, things get a little confusing. Mm. And it's just because of the words, the words. <laughs> the thing is, the thing is, the, the thing I realize is that when you're learning physics or you're learning some top subtopic in physics or some 
let's just say some STEM field. If you say the right words, it'll mean exactly what it's supposed to mean. Yeah. That's what I realized. So with, uh, with me being an auditory learner, I try to catch those words and I write it down very quickly. And if I don't, <laughs> what was that word? And then I'll write it down, make sure that's the word to use for the specific thing that's happening. Mm. And if that's not the right word, I will have to find the word for it. Because if you, I mean, you can explain as much as you want in, in, the, in this community, physics community, quantum <laughs> community, and so forth. But if you use the wrong word by accident, then, you know, it messes everything up. Or, yeah. or someone will come and say, that's not correct. That's incorrect. And that's not what you meant, but you just, you, you didn't use the right word. <laughs> Specific, you know, a physical thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so. I, I agree. I think, you know, fundamentally, we, in, in the same way we spoke earlier about how things have their origins in, in quantum, I think yeah. it's very true that for anybody learning, the origins of whatever you're learning has to be linguistic because your ability to communicate and to discuss is really what enables you to learn at a, for me at a lot faster rate you can learn in isolation you can you can learn in independence it's certainly true and anybody who is in that situation should continue to learn independently but the biggest the biggest learning curve comes from when you discuss it with others and you have those open conversations and that you know brings it back to its its linguistic core so we very much agree on that and um Look, I, I really want to thank you for your time, Omri. I think it's been a fantastic discussion. I, I really enjoyed, we, we've spoke before for a, about half an hour prior to this and I could speak to you for another <laughs> two or three hours quite happily. It would, it would, it would be my absolute pleasure. Um, but I want, to, I want to thank you for your time. I'm very conscious of the fact that you've given a lot of it up already. Where can people find you? If people want to reach out and, and have a conversation or ask questions, how can people get in touch with yourself? Okay, so, well, I have a GitHub page that I try to, I mean, on the GitHub page, you can put a lot of information on there, mm -hmm. but the GitHub is called OJB-Quantum or OJB-Quantum, like the word quantum, all one word. To, you go to that GitHub repository, you'll find like contact information on there. Otherwise, if not, the, the email to contact me at with questions or, or concerns, is ojbs dot name n a m e at gmail.com. Yes, because you know people are eventually you know if they see this in the future and they say, I want to contact Henri, ask questions about something, but then that's that um, that email is is not up to date. See, this is my permanent email for a long time for. <laughs> <laughs> It's another, yeah, lifelong. <laughs> lifelong email, yeah. Either that or, mm, let's see, another place I use very strategically it happens to be Instagram because I share pictures of equipment and machines and things like that on there. Mm, so that is called Henri underscore J underscore Benali. Yep. That's, you know, people sometimes send me messages there. But it's basically all different kinds of channels. People message me, and I, I answer them. <laughs> I like, <laughs> I like having conversations. Stuff like well, that. 
I'm sure there'll be people that will reach out. I think that there's going to be a lot of people who want to uh, kind of continue the discussion that we've been having and, and learn more about your journey as well. So, you know, again, I really thank you for your time. And, uh, you know, I look forward to speaking again with you in the, in the hopefully not too distant future. All right. Wonderful. <laughs> Perfect. So I, I wanted to wrap up there, but I also wanted to have a, just a, a kind of quick um, independent conversation with you, actually, separate to the podcast, just to tell you a bit of a story myself. I think okay. you've sold a lot of stories to me, so let me return the favour. <laughs> um, uh, so I, I had the pleasure of many years ago of going to Canada, um, and I was about, I want to say seven, maybe eight. Okay. Um, completely, yeah, I mean, it was, a, it was a really interesting experience for me, um, and I learned a lot, and it was kind of like one of those, not, not my earliest memories, but certainly some of the memories some of my earliest memories, which are very, very vivid and stand out very clearly. Um, and I actually met a native um, a Native American at the time when I was in Canada. And we were at a national park, and I'm trying to wrap my brain for the name of it. I can't remember. There's not, there's not a funny story there. But again, coming from the UK, we asked where's a nearby kind of national park. And this local told us, oh, you want to get on such and such a highway and drive for a little way and you'll get there. About three hours of driving later, we arrived at our destination. And three hours of driving in the UK is about halfway across the country. So when we went, when we went local, we meant within like an hour. <laughs> but that's, a, that's another story in of itself. So we get there. Um, I very distinctly remember there was a, a cable car that went from the ground level right the way up into the clouds. So when you're sitting at the bottom, you can't, the cable car kind of disappears at some point. And my mum is petrified of heights. So my memory of us going up this cable car is that I'm, Kind of stood there with my dad and my brother and my mom is kind of sat down in the corner of the cable car like just really uncontrollably crying with the heights and it was it was a really interesting experience but anyway we, we get to the top of this um cable car and the, the point was that when you get here there was a um a, a kind of national park and you looked down um into this kind of there's a lovely lake and as you described some mountains and you know the kind of scene that you would never see within the uk kind of scene I've, I've never seen again um and whilst we was up there this this native american came over to my dad and started having a, a conversation with him um and one of the things i remember him saying very very vividly um was about my dad being an eagle and how the the women in the family are a, um i think he said crow maybe a raven and they they're kind of the intellect and they'll look after the kids and they're very mothering and the dad is an eagle who soars above and kind of gives direction to people and um you know it has that protection and for me I, I, when, I, when i was speaking to you i think that you are or will be if not already are an eagle for a lot of people you're somebody that people can follow you're somebody that people can look at and can aspire to be like and somebody who who really um yeah, I, I just think you're somebody who has that again that innate quality of leadership. And when I when I listen to you, when I when I hear you speak, you you really do tune in. And I want to just thank you for your time independently because for me, I think that you yeah you're you're a fantastic individual. And again, I think that please don't underestimate the role that you have to play as somebody who can be that eagle for for so many others and really lead not not lead them in the sense of you know do this do that, but just be a a, a beacon for people. And I hope that that, that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense, definitely. Uh, all these, all these indigenous values, they they're kind of intertwined. Even even as far as working on on quantum, like there's this area that we talk about. This is like sustainability, 
Mm-hmm. So as, as indigenous people, we have this, we have this view of taking care of the earth. We call it mother mm-hmm. earth. And, or in my language, we call it but that, that is our, our way of, of having a, I guess, viewing the world as, as a personified thing. Like it's mm-hmm. not, it's not necessarily animated, but it is so you can animate it. Mm-hmm. And even the way we name objects, we you know give those names, and it's, it makes it as if it's animated. So these these principles spill on over into leadership. Same case. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, very true. Uh, but interestingly enough, though, in my tribe, we are a matriarchy. Okay. Every like the. The, the the women have a central role in a lot of things in, in my tribe. So they, they are leaders in my tribe mm. for the most part. And you know, that that has its own that has its own path, uh, should I say story mm-hmm. that, that people can tell. And so my grandmother was definitely one of those people mm. when she was around. But yeah. So I you know, there's a reason we call it Mother Earth, right? Right. There's a, there's a reason. <laughs> and I think the point you make about, you know, we um, personifying the earth, I, I I think to some extent when you, when I don't know, maybe this is just my perspective, but when I talk about the earth, I do consider it to be a living thing. N- yeah. Not necessarily alive in the sense that, you know, myself or you are, but it certainly, it certainly is alive in some sense. And I, I don't know, this is more of a, philosophical question now but <laughs> i think there is definitely some truth in that absolutely mm. um so no I, I really appreciate your time thank you very very much it's a very, yeah, very interesting conversation and, happy uh, to be here i said I, I look forward to the day that we speak again